we've got something a little bit different for you that we're going to jump just straight into without any more preamble. Paul's away today, but we have a great message for you by a good friend to New Life by the name of John Hand. And John will introduce himself in a moment. But last week, Paul talked about the various ways that we might define enemy and how we might extend hospitality to people that in our minds kind of wear that label. Um, so today, John's going to pick up where Paul left off last week, and he's going to talk to us about forgiveness. So let's watch this and see what John has for us this morning. Well, hey, uh, good Sunday, New Life Church in Collingwood. My name is John Hand, and I'm your guest speaker today, and uh, I'm really glad to be here. A little bit about me. So I'm, I'm friends with your pastor. I, uh, I work at uh, your sister church, the Meeting House Church, and I'm a um, pastor of leadership development at the Meeting House. And then I'm also work for um, like a network called Jesus Collective. It's a network of like-minded churches who are kind of Anabaptish, who are kind of uh, learning and drinking from the same kind of theological history as our denomination. And we're uh, connecting others across the, the U.S. and Canada and beyond together who are uh, coming together around these, like Jesus, putting Jesus at the center. So that's a little bit about me. I've been married for 21 years, and I have uh, two girls, 17, 15, and my son, Cohen, is, is four, uh, hold on, 12 and I've been married to Amy, and um, yeah, so that's me, and time to, to dive in. Um, did you know that it is Thanksgiving? I think everybody probably understands. Today, as I was thinking about this talk and being with you, metaphorically, <laughs> in these weird COVID ways, uh, I was thinking about, you know, it might be good to have a Forgiveness Sunday. Uh, I know, Forgiveness Sunday. Um, what is Forgiveness Sunday? You are asking, and I'm saying, well, Forgiveness Sunday is, it's just a, a Sunday for us to kind of pause and reflect on it. In our life, we are maybe needing to forgive, and sometimes things below the surface a little bit, and we we really look at what is it that uh, maybe the spirit of Jesus might be prompting me to do in order to be most fully alive, and part of that for us is forgiveness. It's really at the heart of our faith. And uh, th these moments that we're going to enter into this morning are kind of opportunities for us to kind of clear the pipes, so to speak, for us to kind of examine, is there anything in the, in the pipeline with us and God and other people that needs to be kind of cleared out? And this morning is a chance for us to reflect on that a little bit um, more deeply. So um, I want to start with a story. A few years ago, a friend of mine was throwing a birthday party for his wife and so we were there, party starts at five o'clock. Uh, it was a catered party. And so my friend said, hey, would you come with me around the corner?
Heather over to this caterer, and at five o'clock we were supposed to pick the food. It's dark. <laughs> like, like there was no one there. We were knocking on the window. We were um, kind of looking in the window. Nothing. Nobody was there. And so after about ten minutes, and my friend calling the caterer. Somebody shows up and they look a little disheveled and they, they said, oh, we're so sorry. We, we thought it was 530 that, that you were going to be here. And so uh, 5.30 and then 5.45 and then 5.50 and then 6 o'clock. And there's like 40 people at this party and kids, like 40 adults and then kids. And, um, you know, adults, when they're hungry, they're, they're kind of, they're polite about it. But when kids are hungry, they, they kind of turn into demons. So you have like 40 adults and a bunch of demons who are starving and there's no food. So we, we walk back to the caterer and on the way back to the caterer, at like six o'clock now, I'm getting worked up. It's not even my party, but I'm getting worked up and I'm going to my friend and I'm like, dude, you have to lay into them. When you get there, you have to show, you have to tell them that this is unacceptable. You want money back. If they don't work with you, that you're going to go to Facebook and you're going to tell the world not to use this caterer. I'm like getting worked up and I'm ready. So when we go back in there, I'm like, I'm going to hold his coat while he goes at it with these people. So we get back in there and, oh man, uh, he, he, he's talking with them and they're, they're like, oh, it's not ready. It's still not ready. And so he says, hey, can I take some of the food with me uh, now, whatever food's ready? And, um, and he was just, um, he expressed his disappointment, but he was very gracious and he was kind and he was, he was firm. And, uh, and we walked away and I thought, wow he really went easy on them. Like he really was kind and gracious. And then it, and then it hit me. Oh, that's right. We're Christians. Of course. And oh yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm a pastor. Like I should have known this, that mercy wins, that forgiveness wins. And like, Lord have mercy. Um, you know, I think by Friday of every week, we've probably had a hundred different opportunities to forgive somebody in a week. I think that uh, especially forgiveness is, is really difficult when we don't get what we, what we want and when life doesn't go according to plan. Um, I think COVID has really exposed a lot of this to us. Uh, I, I read a haunting quote from a pastor a few uh, years ago, and he said, in this uh, quote, he said, in all my years of pastoring, I've learned this lesson. Um, and I want to lovingly pass that ouch onto you. And so I invite us this morning, uh, or whenever you're viewing this, to go to Romans chapter 12. Uh, Romans is the first book of the um, go to the first book of the New Testament and then 
go in to the right, so to speak, uh, six books, and there you'll find the book of Romans. And, and uh, Romans chapter 12 is the chapter that we're going to look at, and this is a very helpful chapter. It has so much to say to where we are today, especially in COVID. And this passage is all about why forgiveness, why forgiveness, and then how to forgive. And, and through the passage, um, it doesn't actually mention the word forgiveness, not one time, interestingly. Uh, but the passage that we're about to read was written by a former religious terrorist. Any, anybody know who this former religious terrorist was who wrote this, this passage in the book of Romans in chapter 12? Right, it's the Apostle Paul. And Paul was a, he's a fearful, he's an angry, he's a threatened, he's a self-righteous guy. He has this encounter with Jesus, and it transforms him to the core. And he, he, in fact, at that point, he became a leader in the first century Jesus movement. In the same movement he was persecuting, he becomes a leader in that movement and becomes a writer of scripture. And so maybe, maybe you didn't know this, but uh, in, in Rome, Rome was the capital city of the empire, the same empire that had uh, put the, the people, the Jewish people in captivity in their own land. They were oppressors. Uh, Rome was the worldwide superpower of its day, and Rome, Rome was like the Washington, D.C., or if you're into the Hunger Games, Rome was like Pan Am. And, and on top of that, Rome represented the enemy uh, to these ethnically, ethnically Jewish people. And, and Paul was writing to them, to the people in Rome. Rome had invaded their homeland. Rome had uh, dispensed fake news. Rome had... Uh, used deceptive propaganda against people, had deported their people. Rome was on the, the had stole their peace. Rome um, was the enemy. And it's into this cultural moment that we read verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah. Yeah, this echoes the very words of Jesus that we find in, in Luke chapter 6. Paul is echoing Jesus. He's putting Jesus at the center, and he's echoing, and he's anchoring this message in this chapter to Jesus. And so uh, all of these Christians living in the enemy capital of Rome, they would have been surrounded by a, a, like a very different way of life, a very different way of life, a way of life that was very different in stark contrast to Jesus and what Jesus taught and, and what he taught in his own words in, in Luke. So in Luke, you see Jesus saying, I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. But in Rome, Rome, Rome was different. There was a, there was a sense of uh, identity and way of life that gave Ro the Roman people a uh, a meaning, and it, and it gave them distinction, and it was kind of the, the Roman way. It was how they lived. They would teach this way to their children, and at a very young age, a good parent in Rome would teach their children the important values of pride, of vengeance, of retribution, <laughs> the exact opposite of Jesus, and so if they were good little kids, Romans, they would brag about their accomplishments, and, and rub it in. And, and so if they won the Latin spelling bee, you know, a good Roman kid would, would kind of rub it in and pound their chest a little bit and make others feel a little bit less because they rose to the challenge and they got, they won. 
And, um, and if, if somebody hurt a, a little Roman kid and, uh, you know, tried to bully them, um, they, would, they would hit them back harder than they got hit. It was a retrib- retributive, retributive uh, culture where uh, if someone takes advantage of you, you hit them back harder than they hit you to show them that you can't mess with, with Romans. And so in this passage, you know, the idea of showing mercy to people, the idea of forgiveness and of humility, these were seen in the Roman culture as weak uh, and, and in polite Roman society, you would never reward a child who was humble or merciful or forgiving. You they thought they were a, you know, a blight on society. And so the Romans accused the Christians of being bad parents. They accused them of, um, of being unpatriotic. And it's into this culture that Paul is writing Romans chapter 14. And it's into this, this idea of showing people mercy, of blessing them when they persecute you. And so what do you do when people misunderstand you, when they threaten you, when they hurt you? You bless them, according to Paul. In verse 14 of Romans 12, you can see he says, Bless those who curse you. Bless them. Uh, That's the Jesus way. We bless those who hurt us, which means, what does that mean to bless it? It means that for those people who have hurt us, those people who have threatened us, it means that we actually want what's best for them. We want their healing. We want their wholeness. We want their their goodness. We want God to bless those who have hurt us. That's what it means to bless. We want their best. And so earlier in Luke's writing of, of um, these words of Jesus in Luke 6, Luke is assuming that uh, w- this is going to happen to us at some point in our lives. You see here, he says, blessed, blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and when they insult you. You see this? When they reject uh, you as evil, they misunderstand you. When? It's going to happen to us. It's assumed. Jesus assumes this is going to happen to us. You know, if, if you're not in a place right now where you have uh, really experienced some hurt or a sense of betrayal uh, from somebody, uh, a sense of uh, having some, somebody threatening something that you love, um, you, you, you probably have had that happen to you at some point, a sense of rejection or just feeling betrayed. And, and, uh, and if you're not there now, you're probably going to be there at some point in the future. I know. What a chirpy Thanksgiving sermon here. And when it comes to our natural human tendency, our natural self is to see people as, as problems when, when they have done something to hurt us. It's to, it's to see people as the problem. And maybe it's when uh, somebody's rude to you at work or maybe somebody uh, that has uh, you know, betrayed you, as I said before, or somebody uh, was demeaning to you, or more painfully, when somebody abandoned you. And when we get hurt by others, our first reaction is to see them as problems, as problems. And what do you do with problems? How do you treat a problem? Uh, uh, when your car breaks down, when the sink gets clogged, when, when someone backs into your car, how do you treat a problem? <laughs> uh, you treat it as less like something um, you know, of value and more like an object that you want to try and fix and make go away. And, and this is our natural human tendency. And, 
that when, when people have hurt us, that we see them like as a, not a person, but as a problem. This is what the trap I fell into when I was at the caterer. That was not a person, a living human being with a story and maybe having a bad day. This is a person that is a problem that needs to just go away. And, and this is uh, the invitation here. The invitation to people as problems, but to see them as real human beings. We, we see this, uh, rejoice with those who rejoice. But we have to like really... In a, in a profound way, we have to enter their story and their life. We have to see their life through their eyes a little bit. We must see them differently. And this is really the definition of, <coughs> excuse me, of repentance. It's to see differently. So when Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand or the kingdom of God is at hand, he's really saying, be awake, see differently that God is doing a new thing. And he's going to He's going to change how you see things because God is bringing about a a transformation. Don't miss it, right? This is brilliant. And maybe today in your life, God wants to bring about a transformation in how you see those who have hurt you, not as problems, but as people. Uh, The passage says that those who are rejoicing and those who are weeping, that we are seeing them as someone that we understand to the point where we can rejoice with them or even be emotionally moved ourselves to weep with them. And, and this is the invitation uh, as you are here in this moment on Forgiveness Sunday that the people that you think are the problem are, are actually people. And, and I want to invite you to think about like who are the problem people in your life right now? Uh, is it a political group? Is it those who don't keep social distancing? Uh, is it somebody who has betrayed you? Is it a neighbor, who, a literally a neighbor who lives near you who's the problem in your life? Can you hold them as we go along in this time? Can you hold them in your mind, like bring them up, and just let them be on the tip of your consciousness as, as we continue to talk? I'm going to mention three steps for us to, towards forgiveness. It's a journey. We're making steps towards forgiveness. The first step we've already really kind of gotten into we've um yeah we've asked who are the problem people in your experience and that these are people with real hurts and baggage and their own brokenness and then the steps to forgiveness is to move from seeing problems uh to seeing people that we extend we extend mercy to uh, our instinct as humans when uh, people have hurt us is to, is really is to punish them. Uh, it's, to, it's to inflict the same pain in return that they have caused us. And, um, and if we think about step two of moving towards forgiveness and extending mercy, we, we see in the passage in Romans 17 or 12, 17, don't repay anybody evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone and if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, be at, be at peace with everybody. And then it skips uh, forward to verse 20. But on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he is thirsty, give 
him something to drink. And in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on their, their head. Do you see this? The, the same thing that you do for yourself, which is to feed yourself and to give yourself your body water, is the same thing that we're to do for our enemies. The same thing that you do for your friends when they come over to your house or they used to come over to your house to give them drink and food is to do the same thing for your enemies. We treat them with mercy. And maybe this mercy uh, burns them like when my kids touched the stove when they were little, they, they would... Um, you know, they would touch the stove and it would be hot. We would warn them, but they would touch it anyway, and it would burn them, and this would wake them up, and they would pay attention, and uh, they wouldn't touch the stove in the same way. And, and extending mercy is maybe just like that. Maybe it's like when we extend mercy to those who don't deserve it, that it's not earned. Maybe that is the best shot that we have of helping them to wake up, wake up to the peace and the mercy and the possibility of forgiveness. How do you extend mercy on somebody who is hurtful and angry or somebody uh, you may have hurt? I, I think it's very hard for us to do this. Very hard. It's very hard for you to do this, to have compassion on somebody that doesn't, in your mind, deserve it. And I think what, uh, what we're called to do here is, what if you saw that person that has hurt you as, as actually a, hurt, a hurting person, somebody that is actually hurting themselves, and it's somebody to show mercy to, which means we want what's best for them, and we want their healing and their wholeness. And, and instead of seeing somebody who is, um, has hurt us, we see them as somebody who is hurting. I have a friend whose uh, mom and dad, they divorced when he was age 10, and it was one of those really messy divorces. It was sad. So dad moves one province over and he stays with his, uh, my friend stayed with his mom and, and his sister. And, and his mom uh, was working in these like three jobs, single mom, trying to make it work for her family. And, and then she found a boyfriend. And so after her three jobs, working her three jobs in a day or in a week, she would uh, go and spend time with her boyfriend. And there was just nothing left for her to give her, her son. Uh, and so for years, um, my friend has been carrying deep resentment, not actually towards his mom, uh, but actually towards his sister. He had an older sister who was three years older, and he had grown to hate her. Why? Because he, he always felt like that she abandoned him, like that she was, she was older, she could have been the big sister and, and cared for him, like in the movies. Uh, you know, she could have looked out for him and she could have been the, the protector and nurtured him. And instead, she totally ignored him. And he was literally like all alone. And, and in his words, she abandoned me, he said. And so for years, he said he didn't want to forgive her because uh, she deserved, he once said to me, he, she deserves my anger. And I, and I didn't want to give her what she didn't deserve because what she didn't deserve was my forgiveness. And he was caught in this trap for years. And my friend, all they could see was their own hurt. They could not see beyond it. And then, and then something happened. Uh, on and off over the years, he would feel guilty. He would try to forgive her. One time he even picked up the phone to try to call her. And as soon as she's on the other line, he hangs up because he just can't get the words out. And he, he couldn't do it. He couldn't bring himself to forgive because he didn't think that she deserved it. 
And then one day he has a breakthrough. How? Uh, in verse 19, it says, Don't take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, It is mine to avenge, I will, I will repay. This passage says that followers of Jesus are, were not to seek revenge on those who hurt us. Instead, God is the just judge, and we just trust him in that role. Because, because God knows what we don't know. God sees what we can't see in our pain and in our, our hurt and in our role. Our role is to just trust that God is the just judge. And, and we have a track record of human as humans of being not so great at judge judgment, like, like being really like off <laughs> in having just judgment. I, I think recent events in Canada and the U.S. in the past months have proven that we are not great at judging. And and so my friend is a Jesus follower, and he begins to go see a spiritual kind of guide who was helping him process these deep hurts and, and in her life. And the, the counselor gave my friend homework and said, I, I want you to form a different interpretation, a different judgment of what happened uh, to you and your sister. Uh, your, your sister rejected you, and it hurts to this day. And I, he, the counselor said, I want you to zoom out. And spend the next few weeks not thinking about your hurt uh, as much as replaying the events of the divorce and the separation and the splitting up of the family and the confusion and the aloneness of being 15. But I want you to, I want you to replay those events actually through her eyes. I, I want you to um, meditate on the experience through the eyes of your sister. And so my friend did this for one week. Every day he would sit and reflect for five or ten minutes on this experience through her eyes, and nothing happened. <laughs> and, uh, and then he did it on the second week, and, and nothing happened. And then he did it the third week, and on the third week something began to shift. And in, in his feelings emotionally about her, the anger and the rage began to dissipate, and something surprised him. Something happened. He started feeling compassion. He started feeling mercy. He was surprised by actually empathy for her. And in the thick of this ice of resentment, it, it begins to melt. And, and he started to desire to actually forgive her. He's never had that desire before now. Because in the practice of entering her story and her pain, the Holy Spirit unveiled truth about his sister that he had never allowed himself to understand before, that that she was consumed in her own pain, that she was abandoned just like he was and lonely, and that she, in her response, was to shut out the world and to shut everything out and to crawl away from the family. And that's how she dealt with it. And it began to change how he saw his sister. And this is what happens. Forgiveness in, in this way, it doesn't release somebody from the accountability of, of their actions. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not forgetting. But forgiveness is what happens as we choose to bless hurting people with mercy. And then we go from, from just seeing them in our hurt to being able to see them through their hurt too, and it changes us. And isn't this what we see in Jesus? Like he's on the cross, and what does he say? Father, Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. What, how did he do that? He 
We don't know what we're doing. He crawls inside our experience and he sees through our lens that we don't know what we're doing. And he asks the Father to forgive. And this doesn't, this doesn't mean that we minimize our own pain when we've been hurt. This doesn't mean that we somehow just act like it never happened and it like all magically goes away. No, we have, to, we have to process our pain and we have to honor our pain and recognize that it's real. And then we have to grieve it. And even, even Jesus said that before going to the cross. He says, let this cup, this suffering, let it pass from me. Um, you know, he's, he's in pain and he's, he's suffering. These are real things. We're not minimizing it. But we're also acknowledging theirs too, their pain too. So step one is that we are moving from seeing problems to seeing people Step two in the journey is that we're moving from seeing problems to seeing people that we show mercy to. And step three is the journey of us choosing then to forgive. This frees us to be able to start forgiving. And, and, and you see this, that we're, we're on a journey, and forgiveness is really it's the, the journey of releasing people from what we think they deserve to wanting what is best for them. And this happens in a process. And so if you're still having trouble releasing that other person from your bitterness into forgiveness, then we have this third step. And the third step, I think, is the most powerful step. It's, it's the step where we get to uh, receive something that we may not have so that we can actually give forgiveness to, to somebody else. So forgiveness is this inner journey of no longer wanting people to get what they deserve. Yeah. We release them to be loved by God as we've been loved by God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said, he's, he's, he's a, a German Christian theologian and pastor in Nazi Germany. And uh, he says, everything depends on this, that whenever we meet an enemy, whenever we meet an enemy, we immediately think this is somebody that God loves. God has given everything for this person. And this is it. The, 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 the cruciform way, this means the cross-shaped way. The cross-shaped way is the road to forgiveness. Um, everything Jesus does is in the shape of the cross. Everything. And what does Jesus do? Not vengeance, not blame, not retribution. Jesus dies for his abusers his accusers, his enemies. And this is the cross. What, is the, what does the cross do? Um, uh, a pastor and a theologian that I enjoy named Brian Zond, he says that the cross is where Jesus absorbs evil and in the resurrection he recycles it into compassion, mercy, forgiveness, and enemy love. This is, this is what Jesus does. He takes our pain and our hurt and our rage and our anger and he absorbs it and he recycles it and turns it into compassion and mercy and forgiveness and love for those who don't deserve it like us and this this is what it's getting at in verse 17 don't repay evil for evil be careful what to do what's right in the eyes of everyone if as far as it's possible as far as it depends on you live at peace with everyone don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How do you overcome betrayal? With betrayal? How do you overcome hurt? With returning hurt? 
How do you overcome injustice with injustice? How do you overcome rejection with rejection? No, we overcome it with something better. Mercy is better than betrayal. Hurt, injustice, rejection. Mercy is better, it's heavier, it's weightier than those things. And so step three is receive a forgiveness that doesn't come from you, but comes through you to those that you are being invited to forgive. What does that mean? <laughs> uh, well, one year we went on a family vacation and my dad gave my brother and I like, a, like $200, like a big splurge for this vacation. And we, could, we had to buy all of our meals with it. He was trying to teach us to budget our money. And we could buy whatever, souvenirs and candy and whatever. And uh, that, that week, I became like the life of the party. We were there with other friends. And I became like Mr. Mr. Like Moneybag's generosity. Uh, we'd go to the ice cream shop, and I'd buy ice cream for everybody. Uh, we, would, uh, we would go to the arcade, and like I'm handing out quarters for everybody. Uh, my brother, I bought my brother a T-shirt. If it would have been my money, I would have never brought, bought my brother a t-shirt. But it wasn't my money. It was, it was uh, my dad's money. He gave it to me. And, and the love that you need, the release that you need, the, the strength that you need, even the forgiveness itself that you need, what if it didn't come from you, but it came through you? What if it came from your, your heavenly dad? What if it was actually not yours, it was your heavenly dad's, and your heavenly dad gave it to you? What if you didn't have to forgive something or somebody? You could just, um, you just can't get there, right? What if you invited your heavenly dad to give you his unending supply of mercy, of forgiveness, of grace, and to give it to you so that you could pass it along? to those who need to be forgiven. Could you do that? Would you, be, would you be willing to do that? Could you just be willing to receive from your heavenly dad the forgiveness that you need to release the hurt and the disappointment and the betrayal and that sense of having something that you love threatened? What, what do you do with this message? Like in this moment right now, what might the, the Spirit of God be nudging you to do with this message? Forgiveness isn't forgetting. It doesn't mean that we agree with the people that have hurt us. It doesn't mean that they're not held accountable, that, that their actions actually mean something in the world and there's consequences. But, but it, doesn't, it does mean that we have to release them from our rage and our bitterness and our resentments and blame and we have to hope for their best and today I want to invite you into maybe three postures uh, for you to help remind your body of the journey of forgiveness who, who do you need to release today who do you need to forgive what group what persons Jesus stands ready with you to absorb the pain, the fear, the bitterness, and, and recycle that into compassion and mercy. I, um, I want to walk you through three 
spiritual practices. Um, I want to create space for you to enter into these spiritual practices uh, as a way to invite an opportunity for you this morning to forgive. Um, this is a process of reflection, of receiving, and of, of releasing. But I just want to say no one is forcing you to do this. If you're at a place where you can't forgive, you just can't do it, then I, I just want you to know um, that that's, that is okay. And I want you in this moment to hang in here, to stay present, and to sit with this one thought. This one thought is that God loves you right now, even in your bitterness, even in your resentment. God loves you, not as you should be, because you're not as you should be, but as you are. And he just does. And that's the one thought. God's mercy and grace does not wait for your readiness to forgive. It's already yours. And for those of us who are willing to step forward into forgiveness, I want to invite you to do an inventory. So take your hands and take a finger and make it a pointing finger. And I want you to ask yourself, am I, am I in these recent days, am I blaming? Am I objectifying people as problems? Am I pointing out what they did over there with no reflection on what I need to do in here? Or maybe your hands are clenched like this, that you're holding on to an anger or to a hurt because that hurt makes you feel morally superior to those who hurt you. You actually feel like you are better than them. As you hang on to that hurt or as you hang on to that anger, that anger drives you and it fuels you. And you, you actually don't know how to release it. And so I would just want to ask you to open your hands like this. Open it. And are you willing to release that? You've gone from the pointing finger to the clenched fist to now the open hands. Are you, really, are you willing to release that resentment, that anger, that bitterness? And then I want you to take your hands and move them into the shape of a cup. This is a humble posture. This is really a humble posture. If you go to the streets of India or of Cambodia where I've been, you have literally children who stand in the streets like this. And this posture is saying, I need. And this is what I invite you to do with your hands. I need. In this humble posture, all you can do is receive God's love for you, is receive it. You can't control it. You can't earn it. You can't, you can't deter All you can do is receive it. And maybe you're saying, I can't forgive. Well, I want to invite you to receive for yourself the forgiveness and the mercy of God and let him fill your cup so that out of that, you can pass it on to other people, that you can pass it through you to those that you're being invited to forgive? Can you receive a mercy for those who hurt you? Can you release? Can you receive? And then can you forgive? And so now take your hands and hold them out like Jesus on the cross. And here you have Jesus with his arms open to receive our pain and our insults that we've hurled at him and our rage and our bitterness to receive it. And Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And his arms are open wide. And now I invite you to mimic Jesus' own hands with his arms open. And I invite you to choose in this moment, I forgive. Can you do that? And lastly, maybe the, the hardest person to forgive is not them out there, but it's you in here that 
you actually need to forgive yourself. When Jesus says, love your enemy, sometimes the hardest person to love, the greatest enemy, is the one in here. And this is a moment for you to receive the love of the Father for yourself, to forgive yourself, and to release the resentment and the bitterness and the regret that you're holding for yourself. That you would have your hands your hands open, you would have your hands cupped, you would have your arms open to receive and to forgive. And I'd like to pray for you. Jesus, thank you for this uh, moment, this morning, this time, to receive forgiveness, to receive something that we may not be able to do on our own. And I pray for new life, that they would be known as a church that's a forgiving church in their town, that they would receive the forgiveness that you have for them, that they would forgive uh, others out of what you give them. And this morning, I pray that they would choose as a congregation, as a community, even today, to forgive, to release, to let go. We pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, uh, New Life. It was great to be with you. And uh, blessings on your Thanksgiving weekend.